Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com, along with my lovely co-host, former mayor of a California beach town and best-selling author, Debbie Peterson. We're also coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, CastBox. Oh, the list goes on and on. I won't bore you. In fact, we're proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast on Feedspot, up from number two. We're very proud of that. And uh, that's out of thousands. Oh, my gosh. Also, number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today. Neil Donald Walsh has written 40, count them, 40 books on contemporary spirituality and its practical application in everyday life, including nine books in the Conversations with God series, seven of which made the New York Times bestseller list. Wow. Book one remained on that list for 134 weeks. His titles have been translated into 37 languages and have been read by millions of people around the world. But before we get started, I do want to take this moment and thank my last week's guest, Kim Kid Curry, the author of Come Get Me, Mother, I'm Through, The Death of Fairness and Bonnie's Law, The Return of to Fairness, A Return, I'm sorry, he's a renowned radio broadcaster for 33 years. Kim details his celebrated radio career and his devastating MS diagnosis, which ended it abruptly. And just a reminder, you can listen to that interview and all our interviews, including today's on caregiverdave.com or any of the other 26 platforms I mentioned above. All right, enough of that. Neil, so great to have you on the Caregiver Dave Show. I I like to ask my first-time guests just who is Neil? Actually, who is Neil Donald Walsh, and why was he placed on this earth? How's that? Well, it's an intriguing question. Yeah, I don't know whether you're aware of it, Dave, but I spent 27 years in broadcasting myself. Really? And I want to know that. Yes, and I wound up having a nationally, at the end, you know, toward the end of that career, I wound up having a nationally syndicated radio talk show well, on the deal. talk radio, on, T, uh, on TRN, the talk radio network, and I was broadcast. What, uh, what city? Well, I, I, I was broadcasting out of a tiny studio uh, in Central Point, Oregon, but it was, wow. but it was, uh, it was brought, it was nationally, nationally sure. broadcast. And that's, um, that's the best kind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I, I did. You know, I did everything in radio that you could do: news director, on-air personality, disc jockey, program director. I did everything, but own a radio station. So I've got a rich history in broadcasting. I started when I was nineteen years old. I had my first radio show when I was nineteen. So I'll make sure I, to have you critique our radio show when we're done. <laughs> yeah, and I only bring it up because you said who is Neil and you know, what's he about. Sure. So I, you know, that that's really where I started. I decided I wanted to live my life dreams, and uh, even while I was in broadcasting, I had another life dream. I thought I've always wanted to write to be a writer for for newspapers. I wanted to be a journalist. I I just I just loved. I met a few reporters. When I was news director of my radio station, and we would cover stories together, I did it electronically. They did it, you know, in the written word. Uh, and then I got a job as, as a reporter for the local daily newspaper in the city in which I lived, and I wound up being the managing editor of that newspaper. Wow. <laughs> so, so I'm only sharing this with you because I've just had this wonderful, wonderful experience, David. It's a great story. We had two broadcasters in a row on two two consecutive weeks. Yeah, and, and and I've and I've had uh, this wonderful experience of of having lived my life dream over and over and over again. And then, of course, who would have imagined? You know, I did not sit down to write the book. 
conversations with God as a book. I mean, I didn't I didn't wake up one day saying, you know, I think I think I'll write a book called Conversations <laughs> with God. What happened was I was having a personal sacred experience that became a book, but started off as a as an interaction between me and my own understanding of the divine. I never thought that anyone in a million gazillion years would be reading my handwritten notes that I was just taking from my own edification, from my own record, because what I was experiencing in that uh, moment of communion with the divine, I was experiencing that I was receiving information I wanted to keep track of. So I, I just wrote notes, question, answer, question, answer. I just as a, as a former newspaper reporter, I was very, very adept at taking notes on what people were saying to me. I, I was yeah. trained in that. Well, many great books uh, started out by just people's journals, uh, writing stuff down. Yeah. We encourage caregivers all the time, you know, that, that they should journal because, uh, well, I've written four books and that's how it started with me. So uh, let's talk about your book, God Talk. Is it really your 40th book? I can't even imagine. I've written four books. Uh, Debbie's written some, but 40 books, that's like uh, one a year. I mean, I don't know. I don't yes. want to ask how well, old you are, well, being polite. I'm 80, I'm 80 years old. You're 80. And, My gosh, you look great. And and uh, thank you for saying that. And and uh, but I'm I am 80, and I've, I've I've written several books. I mean, several years I wrote more than one book. In fact, in one year, I wrote three books. Three books in one year. But I've I've I, I just can't seem to stop um, sharing. Yeah. You know what I've been given to share. So That's I one book a, every one and a half years for the last sixty years. Yeah, and, and I didn't start. I just I started thirty years ago. The first book was written thirty years ago. Oh well, that's even more than you're writing. Uh, so, but you know, yeah. I just kept on writing, and I never dreamt. You know, I don't. Uh, what the, the truth is, I just kept on writing what I felt I wanted to say, and my literary agent would find publishers. And I, I, I didn't dream, you know, I, I, that, that they would continue publishing uh, that many books, but publishers came along, and and so uh, we just went ahead, and they went to press, and it's yeah. true that God Talk is my 40th published published book. When was that first published? Because uh, New York Times bestseller, you know, we both know that the New York Times isn't very keen on Christian topics or christian books except for the bible they can't seem to get that one off of the bestseller list but uh was this back in the good old days when when uh everyone wasn't so anti-god if you're talking about conversations with god of course it's yeah. not a christian book it's not it would never be described as a christian book really so yeah so anyone who's actually read the book would tell you that it's no way in the world is it a Christian book? Because what uh, the book says, the, the book shares messages that are actually, I mean, one would call them almost contradictions of Orthodox Christian theology. Really? For instance, Conversations with God says, there's no such thing as right and wrong. Hmm. Conversations with God says, there's no such thing as the Ten Commandments. It's right there in the book. Conversations with God makes other statements as well that are uh, <laughs> not not considered Christian theology. So, does that uh, mean a Christian won't enjoy reading it? Uh, it depends. So many Christians have enjoyed reading it, if only to you know to to be stimulated by another point of view. And if only to read, many Christians have written to me saying, well, you know, can't say I agree with your book, but it did stop me to think. And, it, and not many books do that. And it brought me back to my own Christian faith. So I feel really solid in that. And thank you for thank you for doing that for me. And others have written to me saying, you know, uh, I read your book and I, I love what I'm hearing. And I, I agree with much of what I what I've read there. And it's, it's changed my mind about some things. So. I've had different kinds of reactions from people of many, many different faiths, Jewish people, people in the Hindu tradition, Buddhists and Muslims and people who belong to all sorts of faith traditions. There are 4,223 faith traditions currently being practiced 
Wow. Not since the beginning of time. I mean, right now on the earth. I didn't make that number up. Google it. Just type into Google search engine how many religions are there currently being practiced on the planet, uh, and they'll give you the number 4,223. That's incredible. Debbie, I'm sure you've got some questions. <laughs> yeah. Well, then I'm just curious about your conversations with God. How do they go? How do they start? How do you hear him? How do you speak to him? Well, how or, or yes. <laughs> Thank you. How they started, uh, Debbie. Um, was I was going through a very, very difficult time in my life, to put it mildly. And there was a period of time in my life when I, when I had a 10-day <laughs> travel through the horrible corridors of worst-case scenarios. Uh, I lost my relationship with my significant other. We're still very, very good friends to this day, but we realized, you know, we had one of those moments when we realized we just weren't making it together as well as we would like. So we agreed amicably to separate, but I lost my marriage and I didn't want to lose it, but I did. Five days later, I lost my job. My, my corporation, I was working at a radio station uh, and the, the, I was brand new. I was there about maybe nine or 10 months. Uh, and the corporation that owned the station needed to lop off some overhead, last in, first out. I had no seniority, so they said we have to we have to lose you. So now, within five days, I lost my relationship and my job. But that wasn't enough, Debbie. I'm driving down the road, going to a job interview, and I was certain I would get the job because I had all the qualifications. But an elderly gentleman turned his car in front of me as I was driving slowly down the road. I wasn't even speeding. I never. I, I drive, I'm a very slow driver. Everyone, who, in fact, everyone who rides with me says, "My God, you always drive this slowly." But here I am, just just doodling down the road, and this older guy crashes right. He makes a left turn. He misjudged the distance between our two cars. My car, Debbie, was totaled. This wasn't a fender bender, a fender bender, and I suffered a broken neck. Oh. And they, of course, they rushed me to the hospital, and um, the doctor let me know. I, I'll never forget the wording. Uh, this is all within the, the same 10-day period. And the wording of the examination said you know, I, I, that I suffered an avulsion fracture of the seven cervical vertebrae posteriorly. In other words, the doctor said to me, when I woke up you know, from the anesthetic, he said, Mr. Walsh, you should know you had a had a three-quarter inch break in your neck. Not a hairline fracture. That's a break in your neck large enough to put a pencil through. He said, now I want to tell you something. You need to hear me. He's leaning, leaning, I'm on the table, of course. He's leaning over the, this table, and he says to me, I've been doing this work for a long time. Nobody has ever come in here with a neck uh, broken that severely and lived to tell about it. Wow. It almost wow. always produces instant death because of, you know, neurological implications. And But he said, not only did you survive, but anyone who does survive is almost inevitably paralyzed from the neck down. You suffered neither consequence. And he looked at me square in the face and he said, what do you intend to do with the rest of your life, Mr. Walsh? Wow. Because you've been given a gift. Unspeakably miraculous. So I went to my little apartment and started my new life. You know, I got a little a little one-room apartment on top of somebody's garage as kind of a stopgap. But I couldn't get a job anywhere because now I'm wearing a Philadelphia collar, which is a you know a, a therapeutic device that you wear to keep your head up because the doctor said to me, you know, imagine a, a bowling ball on the top of a of a pin. You have nothing to hold your head up with. You will not take this collar off, Mr. Walsh, until I tell you to. I don't care whether you're sleeping. I don't care whether you're you know, making love. I don't care whether you're dancing. The, this Taking a shower, you keep this. Well, I had to wear the collar all the time. I wore it for a year and a half. Wow. Nobody would hire your, me. Uh, your shirts on and off. Had to wear button shirts, I guess, huh? Yeah, like, yeah I, I, of course, buttoned up shirts, of course. And, and like I'm wearing right now. Uh, you know, and, and but but I I uh, couldn't get a job. 
um, Dave, because uh, nobody would hire me. And finally, after I went, I had like six or seven appointments, finally, some guy was honest with me because I was applying for any kind of work. I didn't need to be in broadcasting, you know, give me anything. I just needed to make some money. And uh, but finally, the seventh guy said, you know, Mr. Walsh, nobody's going to hire you when you're wearing that therapeutic device on your on your neck. We're all very clear that one wrong move on the job and we're paying your hospital bills for the next 10 years or your medical bills forever. We're not, you know, we're not, nobody's going to come in here when that, that that therapeutic device is gone and we'd hire you in a minute. You got all the qualifications we need. So I couldn't get a job. Soon I ran out of my savings. I ran to my, my money and my landlord said, I can't, I can't keep you here. You got to pay the rent. I couldn't pay the rent. He said, give me a few months. Give me a couple of months. I promise I'll make it good. He said, we can't do it. We can't do it. Can't carry you. I was evicted. So now I lost my wife, lost my job, lost my health, and lost my place to live. Dave, I'm now living on the sidewalk. I spent a year out there on the street. Not a couple of bad weeks or a couple of tough months. I was out there for two weeks shy of one year. I know what it's like to live on the sidewalk. I know what it's like to sleep on the concrete. I know what it's like not to have two bucks in your pocket and to have to walk up to people on the sidewalk with your hand out saying, please, please, anything helps. Anything helps. With your color. And, yeah. And hope that people would put a couple of 50 cent pieces in my hand so that by the end of the day, I could buy maybe a hamburger or some French fries at a fast food joint and stay, stay alive. So I've been out there and I know what it's about. And finally, I got a weekend job at a local radio station because I didn't have to do, I, I convinced the, I convinced the manager of the station. I say, Hey, look, I've been in broadcasting for 26 years. I know what I'm doing. You've heard my tape. You heard the audition tape. You know I'm good at it. You know, he gave me a piece of copy. He said, read me this commercial. Of course, I did a brilliant job reading the commercial. Cold read in front of him. He said, you're hired. He said, all I got right now is a weekend job. But if you don't mind filling in for the, or, or, you know, do, do the weekend thing. I said, okay. Now I'm working on this radio station, uh, uh, at, taking a weekend shift. And I've just got barely enough money to afford another small little place. And then one morning I woke up at 4.30 in the morning. I'm not a young man when this is happening to me. If I was 34 or, you know, 26 or 42 even. No, I'm 53 years old. And I woke up one morning in my 53rd year and I'm screaming inside my head, what do you want from me? What the hell do you want from me? What have I done to deserve a life of such continuing struggle? One thing after the other. Come on. A marriage, a job, my health, a broken neck, all in the same 10-day period? Why not just kill me and get it over with? So I'm very angry. And I sat down and I wrote an angry letter to God. What does it take to make life work? And I remember scribbling out the following question, Debbie. I was writing down, tell me the rules. I'll play. I swear to God, I'll play this damn game. Just give me the rule book. And don't change the rules every time you turn around. It seems that whenever I think I have the rules down, they change. So what's true and what's not? And what does it take to make life work? And Dave, I heard a voice in the room. Of course, there was no one there. I turned around. I thought, oh, great. Now on top of everything else, I'm losing my mind. But the voice was very clear, very gentle, soft, quiet voice. It simply said, Neil, do you really want answers to all of these questions? Or are you just venting? And I said <laughs> to myself, you think? Yeah, I am venting. But if you've got answers, I'd sure as hell like to know what they are. And immediately came the following thought. Neil, you are sure as hell about a lot of things. But wouldn't you rather be sure as heaven? And I said, no, okay, okay. I'm writing down, what's that supposed to mean? And then I started a dialogue. I realized I was having a question, answer, question, answer, question, answer, dialogue. With I didn't know what at that point. I thought, am I making this up? Am I trafficking with the devil? What's going on? 
what, who am I talking to here? But then I began receiving incredible information, incredible messages, including the following message around, I don't know, 46 or 50 pages in, pages of handwritten notes on my yellow legal pad, and I get the following information. You will make of this one day a book, and it will be accessed by many people. And I thought to myself, yeah, right, of course. I could just see the publisher deciding, you know, he's going to get my notes. He's going to rush out to the workroom floor and say to his editors, hold the presses, stop everything. I got a guy here who's talking to God. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Nobody's going to publish this book. So I sent it to a couple of publishers, not 20 or 30, but I think as I remember, three. I sent it to three different publishers as a dare. I remember saying to God, I dare you. Nobody's going to publish this book. Dave, I get a call a week later from a publisher, not a major publisher. It wasn't like a random house or, you know, one of the bigger publishers. It was a small publisher on the East Coast of the United States, but they, they published eight or ten books a year. And the guy calls me and says, we want to publish your book. I said, you're kidding me. Really? He said, yeah. But we want, we need to change the title because you know we, we think the title is a pushback. I said, you know what? We're not changing the title. Mm. I put the words conversations with God on the cover because that's exactly what I experienced myself having. And he, he, he said, okay, well, it's, it's not a bad title for a fiction book, so it'll probably work. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not publishing it as a fiction book. This is not a piece of fiction. He said, oh, we thought it was, you know, fanciful, like science fiction. I said, no, 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 no. I said, my friend, this actually happened to me. These are notes, handwritten notes taken during a real life experience. He said, okay. <laughs> so, but they put the book out. He said, well, we'll give it a try. We put the book out. I thought to myself, you know, it's not a truly... Even if they did find a small publisher, it's not going to sell 500 copies. Nobody's going to rush out to buy a book by a guy who claims to be talking to God. It's not going to happen. And I was dead right. It, it didn't sell 500 copies. It sold 5 million. Oh, my goodness. So why do you think that is? What what put it on the New York Times bestselling list? Um, usually a book you know needs a lot of uh, publicity and Hype. and oprah's backing it i mean what what really other than god miraculously doing it uh what would they say what would the naysayers say uh is the reason why it was so successful because it was you know there's a guy named james thurber you may not be familiar with the work of james thurber but james thurber is every man capital e he wrote about every man my friend conversations with god contains the questions asked by every man what is the purpose of life what what is all this taboo around sexuality? How does parenting work? What about right livelihood? Why can't I find work that 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 calls forth my soul's agenda? You know, what every health diet? It asks all the questions that the average person would ask, and so it turned into a huge what they told me in New York hand-to-hand -hand book. That is, people would read it and hand it to their wife. She'd hand it to her brother-in-law. He would hand it to his uncle. It was it was being handed around. And then, of course, when you get that kind of handing around, people started buying their own copy because they, they, did, they didn't want to give up their copy. So they realized they would buy copies for their friends or buy their own copy and hand it on. So then it wound up selling like crazy. And before we knew it, and it sold a couple of million. The book sold, reached its first million in six weeks. Wow. Six weeks after it was published. It had reached authors, and we know how uh, amazing that is. Yeah, and, 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 and I got to tell you that I wasn't keeping track, David. I wasn't calling the publisher every other day to see how the book was doing. Frankly, I, I didn't want to get caught up in that in that rat race. Right. I just I just said, you know, it'll do whatever it does, right? So one day the, the doorbell rings in my house, and uh, it's a florist. He's delivering flowers and a little gift package. He said, this is for you. I said, well, thank you. I opened the gift package, and it blew my mind. 
the gift package was a plaque, a wooden plaque on which was a brass plate, and on the brass plate it was engraved. It said, from your publisher, commemorating one million sales. Wow. Conversations That's with God. Incredible. And I couldn't believe it. I, 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 I was dumbfounded. I said, what? You couldn't have sold a million copies in six weeks. That's impossible. How many volumes are there now? How many books? Conversations with God. Well, there are nine dialogue books in the Conversations with God series. Because they called nine different books on this. Well, the continuing the conversation continued, Dave, because they called me from New York, as you might imagine. I got a call from the people at Putnam, and they said, you know, <laughs> the literary version of do you have any sisters like that at home? <laughs> so uh, they said, you know, do you have any more of that inf of that kind of material? And I said, well, if you're asking me if the the um, experience I'm having has continued, the answer is yes. They sent they said to me, they send us whatever you got. Send us whatever you got. Yeah. So we it, it, there wound up being nine books in the dialogue series and 30 other books following the dialogue series that um, expand on the meaning of what's in those dialogues. Again, I'm not bragging. You're asking questions. I'm answering them frankly no, and openly. I'm, I'm I don't want anyone to think I'm sitting here bragging about it because I'm astonished. But apparently it's touched a nerve, caught a wave, as they say. And and can you give us an example of, of a story in there? That's <laughs> yeah. probably Debbie's question, too. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, I, I said to God, okay. Yeah, and I'm, mind you, I'm, I'm writing back and forth questions to, if you please, my understanding of the divine. I didn't have a preconceived notion of what the answer should be or, or even a preconceived notion of God himself. I'm, I'm just trying to get it off my chest. So I'm writing, what does it take? You know, what, what, what is it that I don't understand here about life? The understanding of which would change everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and God said to me, Sweetheart, it's really very simple. You think your life is about you, and your life has nothing to do with you. Your life is about everyone whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. And when you understand that, you will have found the key to what makes life work. But you would also have chanced upon, when you understand that, a larger awareness that in the universal sense your life is about you because neil there's only one of us in the room what you do for me you do for you what you do for another you do for you the way you are with others is the way the world will be with you or to put it in your own simplistic language neil what goes around comes Wake up. And I woke up. And I realized that I needed to pay more attention to how I was being with everyone else in my life. And that changed everything for me. Wow. That's that's my, my story. And then... The second little story, little anecdote I can share with you guys is I was doing the Today Show a few years ago, and Matt Lauer was interviewing me. He had the spot. It was about, it gave me about six minutes on the Today Show one one week. Matt, Matt Lauer is, you know, peppering me with questions. It, it kind, it kind of like, not I wouldn't say antagonistic, but, you know, not quite totally welcoming. He was being, you know, a little cynical. But he says, he's, you know, the man who claims to be talking to God, Neil Donald Walsh. He's, but then he asks me a question at the end of the interview, he said, which I didn't know was the end of the interview. He didn't tell me how much time we had. But he says, Neil, um, what's, what's God's message to the world? You claim to be talking to God. Mm -hmm. What's God's message to the world? Here we have, you know, and I'm sitting there thinking, and then he said to me, 
by the way, because you put it into one paragraph, we got about 30 seconds. <laughs> and I thought, you son of a gun, you would wait until 30 seconds left in the interview to ask me the biggest question of all time? <laughs> what, you know, so now my mind is racing. What can I say to this guy? And I, and I, I realize I'm on the Today Show. It's, it's watched around the world, not yep. just in, in, in the United States. It's, it's globally, tell, I'm talking to millions of people. Yeah, you probably only had three minutes on the whole show. No, I got about, they gave me about six or seven minutes. Oh, wow, that's a very unusual. <laughs> yeah, but in any event, in the last 30 seconds, he throws this question at me. And then it, 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 and then it came to me. I heard the voice again give me the answer. So I said, Matt, I don't need one paragraph. I can give it to you in five words. That Laura looks at the camera with a little scant expression on his face. He says, there you are, ladies and gentlemen, from the man who claims to be talking to God, God's message to the world in five words. Neil? <laughs> the camera comes on me, the red lights go on. I looked into the camera and I said, God's message to the world, folks. You've got me all wrong. Hmm. Even Matt was nonplussed. He didn't know where to go with that. He, he thought I was going to say love everybody or peace is the answer or some kind of a, you've got me all wrong was not what he expected to hear. <laughs> he looked at me, he raised his eyebrow, he said, well, I got to admit, an original response to a tough question. You know, and he got out of the interview as fast as he could. He didn't want to deal with that one. A, a very wise man once told me, when you get to heaven, you know, because everybody's, well, how do you get to heaven? How do you get to heaven? You know, everybody has a different opinion on how to get to heaven. And um, he says, well, when you get to heaven, uh, you're going to have three of the biggest shocks of your life. The first shock is you're going to see people there that you did not expect to see. The second shock, you're going to not see people there who you did expect to see. And based on those two shocks, the third shock is you're going to be shocked to be there yourself. And I thought that was profound. <laughs> well, here's what I've been told. There's no other place to go. <laughs> there is no such thing as hell. You're making it all up. God said, Neil, Neil, guys, stop it. You're making it all up. Why would the highest power in the universe be concerned with what you did in 1946 for an hour and a half that you think should send you to hell. <laughs> what, well, what, where is Adolf Hitler and Charles Manson going? Have you ever been asked that question? Not only was I asked a question, I was answered. In conversations with God, it says, hold on to your seat now. <laughs> Hitler went to heaven. Really? Because there's no other place to go. The afterlife is not about the, hell. Uh, the afterlife the is the afterlife is not a place. It's 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 not. We don't live in a crime and punishment universe. We 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 we. God does not punish anyone for anything, but simply loves all human beings, even in their worst moments. Okay. Well, what about good and evil? Is there evil? Is there pure evil? And is there is, there, we know there, there's good. Well, there, there, there is that which we call evil. But even that, not to be argumentative, but just to just to articulate my response to your question, mm -hmm. you and I could make a list as long as your arm of things that were called evil in 1926 that are not called evil today. And yes, that is true. And there are things today that are still on uh, 1926's list: murder. Yes. Etc. Yeah, you know. Yes, that is that is true. But even, and there are things today that we call evil that we didn't call evil in 1926. That's exactly right. Especially if you're Republican. <laughs> so, Careful, David. <laughs> well, I can see why you're so controversial. <laughs> I'm not sure I buy that. There's no uh, there's no hell. But I'll have to think about that one. Because, you know, I, uh, what's your opinion of the Bible? There's a good question. Well, is the let, Bible let me, let, let me tell you uh, why a bunch of books written by a bunch let, of men under let, the inspiration of God over hundreds of years? 
Well, let's let's you know, let's take a look at what the Bible says. If you read the Bible with a calculator in your hand and, and, and put down the numbers, you will see that the Bible tells us that God ordered and recommended and requested the killing of over a million people. It's right there. In the, I'm not making this up. Read the Bible. It's right in the Bible. In the Bible tells us that God asked for the killing of over a million people. Now, when I talked to God about that, God said, really? I mean, really? Is this the God you believe in? No wonder you behave with each other the way you behave with each other. Because you're basing your behaviors on the way you think that God behaves with you. So if people don't do what you demand of them to do for you, you seek retribution as well. You kill them as well. Just the way you think that I do. God said, Neil, sweetheart, sweetheart, would the right hand slap the left? There's nobody but individuations of me. Every sentient being in the universe is an individuation of divinity. And I said, God, what are, you, what are you telling me? Come on, give me a break here. What are you telling me? None of this makes sense. You tell me that I'm God? And God said, no, that's not what I said. Listen to me carefully. I didn't say you're God. I said you're an individuation of divinity. A wave isn't the ocean. A wave is an arising of the ocean. But it's not something other than the ocean. It's simply the ocean in individual arising. And when that arising in its spectacular, powerful form is complete, the wave recedes back into the ocean. You want a metaphor? There it is, Neil. You want to know how it works? That's how it works. I condemn no one. So stop condemning each other because you think that's what I do to you. And when you stop condemning each other, you will find that you will begin to behave differently with each other and have much less to condemn each other for because your human behaviors will have changed. You will stop murdering. You will stop killing. You will certainly stop the wars that you're still fighting. Can you imagine in the year 2024 still fighting wars over the, where you think the borderline should be between two countries? It's a fair dispute, fair enough. It's a fair dispute, but is it fair enough to kill thousands of people mercilessly because you can't agree on a geographical location of your borderline? Is that how primitive this species really is? I don't need to send you to hell. You've created your own hell. You call it life on earth. Stop it, God said to me. Neil, stop it. Debbie, I'm sure you have some questions. <laughs> well, I, I know in your books you talk about six steps or six ways that you prepare to talk uh, to God. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Give us some hints. Yeah, people have asked me, you know, how could I have my own conversation with God if I was predisposed to at least try? I said, well, you know, there are some steps that I could recommend, which is how I got there. Number one, step number one is possibility. You have to agree that, number one, God exists, that it's possible that there is a higher being called God. Incidentally, by the way, surveys around the world have shown that eight out of ten people believe in a higher power. We simply can't agree about that higher power. So we have 4,000 different religions, but, but we do agree that there is a higher power. So step one is possibility. Not only that it is possible that there is a God, but that it's possible that God actually talks to us. Now, here's what's interesting, Debbie. Most people who believe in God believe that God has talked to human beings. We believe God talked to Moses. We believe God talked to Jesus. We believe God talked to Buddha. We believe God talked to Muhammad. We believe God talked to masters and, and spiritual gurus, both male and female, through the years. So no one questions that God talks to people. But we don't think that God would talk to us. So the second step is worthiness. I have to believe that I am worthy. I don't have to be the Pope or the Archbishop of Canterbury, or the Chief Ulama, or the Head Rabbi, for God to speak to me. Because of what God said to me in the first ten pages of the dialogue, Neil, Neil, 
Because I asked God, why me? Why would you choose me to talk to? And God said, don't get a big head about this. <laughs> Neil, I talk to everyone all the time. It's not a question of to whom am I talking. It's a question of who's listening. People are having the same experience you're having. They're just calling it something else. They call it a stroke of genius, a sudden insight, an epiphany, women's intuition, whatever word they can use to describe sudden awarenesses that fall over them out of the clear blue sky. They don't call it what it really is because they don't want to be ridiculed or marginalized. But you have called it what it really is, a conversation with God. But you're not the first person who has received a piece of information or, in fact, a sudden insight out of nowhere that they will say right to your face. I never thought of this before. It just came to me suddenly. Last Thursday at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, it just came to me out of the clear blue sky. God <laughs> says, that's exactly where I live. Of course it came to you. Neil simply called it conversations with God. Neil, um, you know, here in L.A. on KFI Radio AM 840, 640, there's a show on Sunday mornings. It's called The Jesus Christ Show. And it's this man who is portraying himself as Jesus Christ, literally. I mean, he doesn't believe he is Jesus Christ, but he answers the questions. Okay, here I am. What questions do you have? And people ask him very profound questions, and he he is a very wise man. And uh, so far, you know, I agree with everything he said because I have a good knowledge of the Bible. Um, I've got to ask you this question. I know it's a controversial topic, but... Uh, who is Jesus Christ? You're talking to God. Who is Jesus Christ? The Son of God. Okay, well, that's a good that's a good answer. And uh, is Jesus and God the same person? Uh, you know, the Trinity. Uh, is it the same essence? Yes. Okay. But my so, friend, but my friend, you, if you're going to start quoting me from Jesus, let's quote everything that Jesus said including when he said to his followers, why are you so amazed? These things and more shall you do also. So, do unto others as you would have it done unto you, because it will be done unto you. I promise you, what goes around comes around. So bless Bless, bless your enemies and pray for those who persecute sure. you and do good forgive to those who do you evil. Yeah. Forgiveness is not necessary. God will never forgive you for anything. I've been invited to speak to speak in no, churches. Forgive all each other, he told us. Forgiveness is not necessary. God will never forgive you for anything and God does not advise us. Forgiveness is the biggest act of arrogance one could imagine. When I say to when I say to people in churches, God will never forgive you or anything, they cross their eyes. What are you talking about? What are you some kind of a new age freak? Of course God forgives us. So God does not have to forgive you for heaven's sake. Would you forgive a six-month-old child or even a sixteen-month-old child? Do you do, do, do you have to forgive children for doing what a child does? Well, we are children, an immature species just beginning to evolve into a species that understands who we are, why we're here, and what's going on. So God does not need to forgive us because nothing that you could do, do you really believe that the highest power in the universe is worried about what Debbie's going to say or do tomorrow? That, that you know, I, let, me, let me share with you something, Dave, to make a point. I was raised a Roman Catholic. In the third grade in Catholic school, the priest came in to teach us catechism. You know, which, which for those who don't aren't familiar with the word, is the doctrine and the dogma of the Roman Catholic Church. And he's teaching us about mortal sin and venial sin. And I raised my little nine-year-old hand. Father, can you give me an example? What is a mortal sin? Because he was telling us that a mortal sin is a sin that sends you straight to hell automatically if you die without having confessed that sin and having been absolved by a priest. So I said, what's an example of a mortal sin? He said, oh, sure. And I'm sure he's going to tell me murder or stealing someone's life savings or some horrible, horrible thing. 
child abuse, whatever. He says, missing mass on Sunday is a mortal sin. No, Dave, we both know D D David, I'm not Catholic, making this. Uh, David, David, not David. Exactly ah, I see. It's the Catholics that aren't accurate. Muslims are accurate. Jews are accurate. Buddhists well, are accurate. Right oh, no, 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 no. None of the religions are accurate. You can't say that, oh, it's the Catholic problem. The Catholics are not accurate, but the rest of it is. Excuse me, no cherry picking allowed. If the but, Catholic doctrine isn't accurate, then none of it is. That is, none of it is 100% accurate. All religions have enormous wisdom, enormous truth, including, by the way, David, the Catholic religion. All of the 4,000 religions have enormous insight, enormous wisdom, and enormous truth. But none of them are 100% accurate. And I unless agree. you can... Oh, Wow, David and I agree. So there we <laughs> well, are. We also agree that there's a God. And you, yes. and we also agree that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But I have two questions. Number one. We are all the Son of God. We are all the sons and daughters of God. Well, we are joint heirs with him. That would make us, not, in that, a that's, sense, that, sons not, of God. Not in a sense, very clearly. We are the sons and daughters of God. Okay. And religions that say, for instance, that you cannot even be in the clergy because you don't have a penis, Excuse me? I'm sorry, are you telling me that, that human beings that have a vagina and no penis are not worthy to be members of the clergy? Wake up, people. Wake up. Okay, my two questions. Okay, you ready? <laughs> yes, of course I'm ready. I've been waiting all day. <laughs> so, um, Jesus spoke to his disciples. He says, teach us to pray. And he says, okay. Here's a model prayer for you. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Worship him. Thy kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy will, be, will done. be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us, Give us this day our, our daily, daily bread. bread. And forgive us our, our trespasses as, as we, we forgive those who trespass against us. You said us. forgiveness is, I don't want not, to put words in your mouth. Not necessary. Not necessary. It sounded what, necessary in the prayer. I don't know. Well, here It didn't sound necessary. It was simply a, a request. It was just not necessary. Just because the request is made doesn't mean it's necessary. Well, so I let, teach a lot of people. Let me develop the thought, okay, if I could ahead. develop the thought. What God said to me was, Neil, the reason that God does not need to forgive you for anything is because nothing that human beings could do or say or be could ever anger, upset, frustrate, annoy injure or damage God in any way. Do you believe, God said to me, that God cannot be damaged, injured, or hurt in any way? I said, yes, I believe that. He said, good. Yeah. Now, now we have a good place to start from. Since you can't hurt me, or injure me, or damage me in any way, you also would not anger me any more than a 16-month-old child would anger you. Of course. So, now, if your 16-month-old child is, let's, let's say she's celebrating her second birthday, She's 24 months old, and it's, she's celebrating her second birthday. And she's she's so excited at the dinner table, at the coffee, and she's, oh, my chocolate cake, my favorite cake, oh, boy. And she spills the milk all over the table, reaching for the cake. What does Grandpa say to the two-year-old child? It's okay, sweetheart. Grandpa forgives you. Of course not. Because Grandpa understands forgiveness is not part of the equation. Grandpa oh, yeah. says, wait, oh, wait, 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 you know, you're going to let me develop the thought. You said you'd let me develop okay, the right. thought. So Grandpa doesn't say, I forgive you. In fact, Grandpa does something quite extraordinary. Grandpa says whatever he can say to comfort the child sure. in the moment of her dismay. Even as God comforts us in the moment of our dismay. Of course. Because, said God to me, Neil, Understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master. Write that, Neil, on your bathroom mirror. Get a black magic marker and write it on the top of your bathroom mirror. Understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master. Okay. When you can understand how a person could be, do, or say what they did or said, then you can move into a place of compassion. That doesn't mean you approve of it. 
Doesn't mean you condone it. Doesn't mean you want it to be repeated. But it does mean I can understand, given how you were raised and your whole background, I have compassion enough to understand how it was possible for you to be, do, or say what you were, what you did. I understand. And I think and, we, uh, we agree. I, we agree right. on it. Then, we, then, then forgiveness is not necessary. Forgiveness is the biggest act of arrogance. I would never think that I have the arrogance to forgive anyone for anything. But what I would say to somebody is, can you help me understand why you did what you did or why you said what you said? Help me to understand. The Pope did that. Man shot the Pope in, in, in a motorcade in Rome. I'm sure you know this story. John Paul the twenty third, and when he got out of the hospital after being in the hospital, he shot him six times. By the way, mm. not once, but all six bullets hit the Pope. What did the Pope do? The Pope went to the man's jail cell when he got out of when he got out of uh, the hospital, and he said to the man, "Can you help me understand? Just tell me why did you do that? I, I'm not going to condone it. I'm not going to. I'm not going to approve of it." I hope you never repeat anything like that, and I would never recommend anybody else. But help me understand why. And the man helped him understand why. That he thought that the Roman Catholic Church had done more to denigrate and hurt his faith than any other institution on the face of the earth. And the Pope said, again, I don't approve, but you've helped me understand. And you know what the Pope said to the man who shot him six times? Probably I forgive you. No, he didn't even say, I forgive you. What did he he said, he said, in nomine patria divinity spiritus santo, amen. He gave the man his papal blessing. They became pen pals. They wrote letters back and forth. I'm not making this up. Check your history book. They became the Bible says, bless those who despitefully use you. Yes. They, they, they became pen pals for six years. And then <clears throat> the Pope requested the civil authorities to release the man to let him go, even though he was given a life sentence for trying to kill the Pope. And the Pope <laughs> and the Pope asked the civil authorities in Rome, and they released the man after serving a seven-year sentence. They released him because the Pope asked them to. Because the Pope said, hey, you know what? I don't condone it. I don't approve of it. But I understand it. And understanding replaces forgiveness. The Pope didn't say this. God told me this. Understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master. That's irrefutable. Yes. And a lot of our audience, caregivers, have unforgiveness toward people who have hurt them. And I tell them, you know, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. It only destroys you. Even the Bible says it rots your bones. It gives you ulcers. It gives you colitis. It gives you all sorts of things. It never reaches the person who you are angry with and are hoping yes, to hurt. But you, you know how I work with people who are in that situation? Well, I've had, I've had, I've said it. I do a lot of uh, spiritual coaching with people. And when I uh, have a person, and I've talked to many people as well in that situation and i say to them not can you approve of or can you condone but can you understand why they would say something like that to you or why they would do something like that to you and almost to a person well, i'm not done almost to a person that other other person that i'm dealing with will say to me of course i can understand it that with the way they were raised or what they did this or whatever happened to them and i go well now so you can understand how it came to pass that they did such a thing to you. And then they kind of breathe heavily. <sighs> if you can understand, then you don't even need to forgive. Now you don't have to fight the tendency to not want to forgive. All you have to do is realize understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master. Sure, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. We all have sinned. We all have done something that requires forgiveness. But I agree with you. Understanding is what helps us to forgive. No, it replaces forgiveness in the mind Replace. of the master. In the mind of the student who's still learning, he may think he still has to forgive. But the master does not have to forgive. King Charles does not have to forgive the footman because the footman forgot his shoes. 
All right. But the bottom line is forgiveness does take place, even if you're calling it understanding. <laughs> I don't know. Forgiveness is in the Bible. The word is there, you know. You want to quarrel about the words that are in the Bible? <laughs> you, you mean the same Bible that said that God ordered the killing of a million people? Is that the same book we're talking about? All right. Enough of that. <laughs> oh, I see. Because you have no answer for that one. I understand. When you have no I, answer I have for an answer, but it would, take, it would take three shows to... And, and I love well, the debate. Then, I love then, the banter. Then let's do three Jewish, shows. Jewish then let's do, then let's do three shows. To debate then, the scripture. Then let's do three shows. Call me back. I, I want to hear your. I want to hear your answer to God's <laughs> statement in the Bible right. of killing well, I'm a sure million people. I'm sure you've heard wiser people than me's answer, or you know. I want to hear what Dave has to say uh, about a book that a book that declares that God ordered the killing of more than a million people. Sure. This this one I want to hear. Debbie, I, I think I can tackle that one. Dave, can I speak? Of course. Sorry <laughs> I that I, I monopolized the conversation. Let me seek first to understand. <laughs> I, I think what I would say is it's a book that's written by mere mortals. Bingo! We agree. And the mortals were W-R-O-N-G on that one. And the mortals were wrong on many of the things that the mortals wrote in the Bible. So please don't quote the Bible to me as if it were a book that's infallible. Well, what good do you see in the Bible then? Are we going to, to throw oh, it away? It's no good? No, no, it's not either or. It's not black and white. Dave, don't, don't be so simplistic. Nobody is saying that, that it's either all good or all bad. You didn't hear me say that. I didn't say you, what you heard me say was exactly the opposite. I said that all of the world's 4,000 religions have great wisdom and great insight and great clarity to share with us. But don't quote the Bible, which you've done now three or four times. When you mention the word Bible, it's almost like sacrilegious. You say, it's in the Bible, as if I should believe everything in the Bible. I could quote you things in the Bible that even you would say you disagree with, in which case I'm not convinced that the Bible is the book that I should believe every word in. And I don't. But do I think I that there's great wisdom in the Bible? Enormous wisdom in the Bible. Enormous wisdom. But I don't believe every word in it. And I don't think that anyone else should either. I understand. Of course you do. Because I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> uh, in our last few minutes, is there anything that you would like to... Uh, say that we haven't uh, given you the opportunity to say no you've given me wonderful opportunity and i really appreciate the, the chance to you know have some fun back and forth with you sure i don't i don't mean to i don't mean to be antagonistic or argument i don't either and, and, and i appreciate that this kind of conversation we need to have more of these kinds of friendly uh, disagreements sure. when we find when when human beings learn how to disagree agreeably the world Will change. Agree to disagree. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Agree to disagree agreeably. Agreeably. And Debbie says amen. I say oh. amen to that. <laughs> I hope like, you guys I can't believe how fast our time is gone. Um, I dare you to have me back. Yes, you will be back. <laughs> Neil, how can our listeners get a hold of you or get a hold of your <laughs> many books? Um, is the Conversations with God the only ones that hit the New York Times bestseller or other titles did as well? I, no, I think I think that Conversations, this, this, the seven CWG books were the only books to make the list. Right. Others have sold well, but not well enough to be called a national, international bestseller. So your latest book, which is what? God Talk. What is that one about and how is it different from the other books? Well, it's not a dialogue book, and it's it's a book that explains how people could have, if they chose to, one possible route, the seven steps that I gave you, willingness, wakefulness, acceptance, and discernment, were the other ones we never got to. But there, it, it lists the ways in which I found it possible to communicate with my understanding of the divine, and it gives people a chance to try that out for themselves. So what makes the book different is uh, that it is um, 
kind of an instruction manual, if you please, on how a person might have their own conversation with God. What also made it different in my life is that, you know, all the other books, like like many authors, I write a book and then I get my agent or I try to see if I can find a publisher that, you know, wants to publish it. Yeah. In this case, my phone rang for the first time in my life. <laughs> and a publisher called me and said, Neil, would you write a book for us? I was invited by the publishing company. I said, what do you want? What do you want from me? They said, we, we would like you to write a book that tells people how they can have their own conversation with God. I said, I'd be very happy to write a book like that. So I did it. They published it. Is that a less controversial book? Well, it depends on what arouses you know one's point of view. What 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 causes people to be aroused? It's probably a, a little bit less controversial, but it does talk about the fact. It's a very practical book on how you can communicate with God. Uh, yes, it doesn't I, riles people's feathers and and their beliefs and their theology or whatever. It doesn't uh, provoke arguments. Yes, no, it doesn't confront anyone's dogmatic or, do or doctrinal beliefs. Good. <laughs> I don't right. know. If that's I don't know if that's good. There's nothing bad about. No, that's good. That's yeah. good. But there's nothing you know, bad about about about. Course, no, the know. other books just are are stimulating. You know, I love a good debate. Uh, that's one thing that we don't seem to do anymore in this country. Debate. You know, there are two sides to every argument, and either you're right and I'm wrong, or I'm right and you're wrong, and we're going to kill each other over it, you know? And if we think that we're right, we refuse to debate because we're afraid right. to do so. Right. Like a man that I know, whose name shall not be mentioned, refuses to debate any of his opponents. We're not going to talk he, politics here. Because he will not lower himself to debate his, his opponents. Right. Well, Debbie, how can our listeners reach you and find out more about what you do? mayordebbie.com and um, hopefully you'll be able to pick up on the fact that I, I always say seek first to understand. Yes. mayordebbie.com Neil, what's wow. your website? Wow, thank you, Debbie. <laughs> seek first to understand. That's the title of your next book. That's the oh, title. Yeah, I never thought of that. That's yeah, that's the of title of your is. next book. Seek first, seek first to understand. It's going to sell Write a million down, copies. <laughs> that's You're a, right. That's a, that's a marvelous title for your next book. Please, please write the book. Seek first to understand.com. I will do yeah. that. See if it's oh, available. I will do that. Wow. Wow. Even I'm going to write it down. Yes. All right. People Remember that all our live out. shows become recorded pod and video casts on your favorite platforms. Let me tell you about my number one best-selling book, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times. It's spreading wisdom all over the world, available on Kindle, Audible, Hardcover, wherever books are sold. Also on my free membership website, caregiverdave.com, where you can also schedule a free 30-minute initial coaching call to talk about whatever you're struggling with. 30 minutes of wisdom can often resolve a debilitating problem. Again, that's caregiverdave.com. And don't forget my Caregiver Dave Facebook online community of 34,000 caregivers, lots of tools, resources, videos, this radio show, and much more. And did you know that if you click the like or follow button on whatever platform you're watching or listening to this interview on, it helps us reach even more caregivers by improving Google search engine algorithms. So again, a true heartfelt thank you to my listeners out there, my guests, uh, those all over the world who tune in every Wednesday and make us the number one caregiver radio show on the internet. Until next week, same time, same channel. May God richly bless you. Neil, Debbie, thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Dave Nassani, the caregiver's caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through because he is one. He now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. Thrive and stay alive as a caregiver will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life 
and learn to put their needs first. Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver on sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing. 